Like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a couple of verses, verses 5 through 8, as we're going through this prayer series. And and this week just really felt that uh, God was leading to kind of go a different direction than what we normally do when it comes to this time of the message or the sermon, anything like that. And, And I really felt like I was just pressing, you know, we need to talk about, you know, actually applying this in our life and how does that look and how do we do that because we can walk through the Lord's prayer we can walk through you know Jesus cleansing the temple and calling the the Lord's simple the house of prayer and his God's house will be a house of prayer and so we're to be a people of prayer but how do we actually apply it you know how do we apply it, apply it Sunday through Saturday or Sunday through Sunday and how do we live this out and so this morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at these couple verses that actually led into the Lord's prayer and then we're going to look at a couple uh, P's of prayer uh, to be able to apply this. And then, you know, how do we do it and what does that look like in our life? And there may be some things that are talked about this morning. You're like, well, I already did that. Um, my prayer is that there are things that come up like, well, I've never tried that or I've never even thought about that um, when it comes to our prayer life. I believe all of us have this desire in us that we want to connect with God. We want our prayers uh, to know our prayers are being heard. We want to know that our prayers are making a difference. Um, But a lot of us, and and we're not the only one, is that we're really skittish when it comes to praying. I mean, would anybody be willing to confess if if you were asked to pray in public, you would probably pray for God to change that person's mind that asked you. I mean, there's a... There's a fear, right? There's a fear to pray in public, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but um, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, if you come to the, the act of prayer and, and you're praying and, and you, you wonder if you're doing it right, you are not alone. Uh, man, I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Man, am I, am I even saying this right? Am I even doing the right thing? And so these are some things that we find in the Word of God, some things that God has kind of taught me that I want us to be able to hear. And so if you take notes, I encourage you to do so this morning um, because um, there's just some stuff we can take and just begin applying to sharpen our prayer life. But like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, these three verses, four verses uh, to launch our our series this morning. So the word of the Lord says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. As you read through this, you could probably catch a a similar phrase that's used over and over again. And that's a great key for Bible study. Anytime you're reading the Word of God, if you see in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, there's a key phrase, and when you pray. That is significant for us because it leads to the expectation that prayer is expected of us as God's people. It's not if you pray or, you know, maybe find the time to pray. It's you're going to be doing this. So when you do this, when you are praying, As we talked about last week, we are to be a people of prayer. Prayer recognizes that we have no power in ourselves. We have no power to do what God needs to do in the people's lives around us, at our workplace, at our schools, in this church. And so we're coming out, coming to the Father, connecting with Him, and asking Him to intervene through the power of prayer. And so when you pray, I do hope you have a prayer life that is beyond uh, dinner time and bedtime. that you are communing with the Father and conversating with Him. But what we see when Jesus is teaching, He's teaching to a group of Jewish people who would have an avid prayer life. To be a righteous Jewish individual, there would be times of prayer which you would go to the synagogue or the temple and you would set those times aside in your life to pray. There would be a time in the morning and the afternoon and then the evening before you called it a day. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that the early believers held to those times where they would go to the synagogues during the times of prayer and they would, they would uh, be involved with what was going on there and, and to pray pray and speak to the Father. But Jesus says you must be uh, aware of some of the issues that could come out in our prayer life. So when you are praying, here's some things to be aware about. You must not be like the hypocrites. When it comes to our prayer life, one of the first P's is a purity in prayer. 
You must not be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrites here from the Greek is to speak of actors. Think like Shakespeare. It would be individuals who put on a role and put on a part. It's basically individuals who are not who they appear to be. And Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like an actor. Don't be like the individuals who just who just appear to be religious and appear to be devout. Now, as Jesus' audience is listening, and Jesus begins to explain that they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others, his audience would automatically understand who he is talking about. Jesus is not beating around the bush. He's not being politically correct. He is speaking about the religious leaders that resided in Jerusalem and all around the nation of Israel, that these individuals who come out into the public square for the attention of others to be drawn to them. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like them. Your prayers are not a performance. It was several years ago, right around the time when Ethan was born, that we lived uh, in Illinois at the time. And it was a church where a lot of growth happened in my life and a lot of spiritual battles happened in my life and, and just God just intervening and taking care of us in the midst of it. Um, but I remember an individual, and I'll leave him nameless at the time. I doubt he's going to listen to the podcast. Um, but he was, he was a deacon at that church one of the hardest-hearted individuals you'll ever come across, very sharp in conversation, very uh, blunt, and we all love blunt people sometimes, but he was blunt to the point of negativity, um, made it adamantly clear as a deacon he was opposed to the pastor, made it adamantly clear that he was opposed to the worship style, which I was the worship leader and the youth pastor at that church, and, and we, so we would do like a blended service um, where we have a little bit of piano and organ and guitar and there'd be choirs at time. And, and, uh, but he was adamantly opposed that we even brought guitars and drums and, and adamantly opposed that we kept singing these new songs that weren't in the book. He was speaking of the hymnal at the time. And it wasn't just like he would come and tell me or come and tell the pastor. This would be his foyer conversation. Do you hear what the pastor did? Can you believe they're singing that song again? Um, can you believe they're, you know, whatever. But the funny thing is at that particular church, when we would do the, the offering, which uh, it was more of a traditional church, so the offering was kind of in the middle. You all remember when the offering was like in the middle of the service before? It's like the, 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 the setting up of the message. Yeah, and so... Uh, you play the last song, and the deacons were in charge of taking the offering. So they come up, and he almost always, when he was coming down, he would be the one that wanted to pray. And, and he would let her know that I'm going to pray. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be anybody else's choice whether they could. So he would get up, and here's this man who's very hard-hearted, very sharp, very to the point um, of being negative. You're doing it wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And then, hey, selling Trump there for a second. Uh, anyway. <laughs> He would get up here, and all of a sudden, he was completely passionate about God. And, and this man, who always was negative tone and very sharp, would all, be, all of a sudden become very tearful. And I never could understand it. I never understood how the, the man I talked to and the man who was always confrontational would get up behind the pulpit and pray, and then all of a sudden, he was passionate and tenderhearted and tearful, and then I came to this passage of Scripture. I believe he was putting on a show. He wanted people to perceive him to be religious and closer to God than when he actually was. But the fruit that he bore outside of this didn't match that. And that's what Jesus is getting at when it comes to our prayer life. He said, look, it's not a performance. I'm not putting on a show for anyone. And so when it comes to the purity of prayer, here's a question we should ask ourselves. Why am I praying for the things I'm praying for? Why am I praying for the things I'm praying for? The Bible tells us that we don't receive because we ask with the wrong intentions. We ask with the wrong passions, the wrong motives. And so to come with a purity of prayer, say, okay, Lord, why am I praying for this? Why am I praying for my kids this way, my grandkids this way, my, my, my family this way, my work this way? Why am I praying for my finances this way? 
to have a purity of prayer when we come to that, and then, and then to bring that into, if you are to, to pray in public, that to understand that, you know what, I'm not praying, I'm not talking to God for your sake. You know, I don't get in a conversation with my wife and then, and then turn to Jason and say, hey, how do you think that conversation went? Unless I'm like really in trouble, <laughs> right? I don't turn to you and say, you know, do you think, do you, do you think my, me and my wife's date was good? Do, do you think our conversation, do you think it was like pleasant and we got, I don't look for you to grade my conversation with my wife or even my kids. It's, but it's funny that we, we put this pressure on ourselves. When we talk to God through prayer, we get more consumed about what other people are going to think about us than the one we're actually talking to. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about who I am speaking to and why am I bringing this to to him in this moment. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. He says, why? Because they love to stand and they love to pray in the synagogues and in the street corners. And so we see here there's a position in prayer. He says they love to stand. And since he's he's saying that this is not the proper way to pray, he's telling us that, okay, they love to do this for a reason. And I'm not saying you can't pray while you stand. Obviously, I've prayed this morning while I was standing. Jason prayed while he was standing. You've probably prayed while you're standing. You may have even prayed while you're driving the car. But there there should be a position of prayer. There should be an understanding of what I'm talking to. You do not have to close your eyes to pray. That blew my mind when I was about six or seven years old. You know, we, those old Sunday school literatures where they came in the nice big pack. I'm talking old, you know, Lifeway stuff. And they had those little pictures that you wouldn't hang up in your house. But some reason, Lifeway always put them in the packets. And I remember there was a lady and it was about prayer. And there's a lady that had her eyes open and I told the teacher she's not praying. And the teacher that moment in time, I remember this old lady, she's probably gone on to be with the Lord by now, and, and she said, well, you don't, you're talking to God. Just, you don't have to close your eyes to talk to God. And I think sometimes we put that, that okay, if we're going to pray, we're going to, what do you do? Go ahead and close your eyes. But that's not for God's sake. That's for our sake because we can get distracted. Because when we keep our eyes open in prayer, what do we tend to do? Who else is looking? You ever been at the altar call and they say, everybody close your eyes and bow your heads and nobody look around. And, and if you said that prayer, raise your hand and anybody want to admit that you looked around? Why? Because we get distracted. We have trouble focusing on God. So there should be a position in prayer. Jesus said these individuals love to stand and that, that standing was to draw attention to themselves. And so I want to just kind of challenge us. And we did this several weeks ago just to challenge us that Maybe this week, at some point in time, maybe later this afternoon or this evening, that you take a position in prayer where you actually bow before the Lord. You physically, literally get on your knees, maybe even face down and lay on your carpet or whatever before God. And just humble yourself. Because there is a proper position, and it's not necessarily physical as much as it is spiritually and in our heart that we need to have when we come before the Lord. So Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's not about us. And so I need to position myself. And sometimes the physical positioning will help correct the, the spiritual positioning. In the book of Daniel... Daniel hears the law and the edict that it was passed in which all the people of the land had to pray to the king and worship the king. And this was a direct assault on the Jewish people. When Daniel heard of this law passed, this is what the Bible says. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his room where he had windows in his upper chamber and opened toward Jerusalem. And he got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Well, probably one of the more famous passages of Scripture comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where it says, If my people who are called by my name, which under the new covenant, that's us, that's Christians. We're called by the name of Christ. If they would humble themselves. I have personally found in my own life that when I get down on my knees and sometimes lay down, just recognize I'm talking to the Holy of Holies. My prayers change. 
my perspective changes. Is this something like, oh, I've got to start praying on my knees all the time? No, that would be called legalism. It's not something you need to do all the time, but it's just to position our hearts as we come before the Lord. Jesus says that don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. And, and there was nothing wrong with praying in the synagogues. There were times of prayer set aside for the Jewish people, but it, it should teach us that there should be a place of prayer we have in our life. There should be a place where we go and we meet with, Lord, with the Lord. And it's not a, a, a sign of PDA, you know, public display of affection. It's time where I am intimately involved in my relationship with God. And so it, it shouldn't be at the dinner table all the time. It shouldn't be while we're laying in bed all the time. It should be that place where we set aside and we say, okay, this is my prayer place. I love that movie. Uh, I believe it's called Courageous. Not courageous. Um, what was the other one? War room. See, you all knew where I was going. I don't even need to make the illustration. Okay, so they had a closet where they went to and they prayed and, and it was that place set aside where they could meet with God and they could be alone with God and it wasn't for anybody else but their relationship with God. I want to encourage you to... Get a place. If you do not have a place, get a place. It may be a room in your house that isn't really used. It may be a, a place at a park. It may be a place at your work where you know that people just don't go there. It may just have to be a table at, at, the, at the lounge or the, the, the whatever, the cafeteria area. It may just, you have to find a place where I can be alone with God and I can be intimate with him. And Jesus says, don't be like them. They love to do it in the synagogue, street corners, they be seen by others. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And pray, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you notice these individuals who are praying for other ones to see Him as a performance? Jesus says very clearly, they've gotten their reward. They've gotten what they've wanted. They wanted people to see Him, and that's all they're going to get. God's not going to bless that. But when I set a time and I have this purity of prayer and I'm coming before God and, and I've got this place where I'm meeting with God, it's like my date room, if you want to call it that. But I also have this privacy. I have this place where I can go and I can just be private with God and I can pour out my heart and I don't have to worry about what anybody else is thinking because I'm talking to God. In Jesus' day, when he says to go into your room and shut the door there in verse 6, we have to understand houses weren't like houses today. A house in Jesus' day would only have one door inside, and that was for the storage closet. And it wasn't huge like our walk-in closets where you put things so the bugs and stuff wouldn't get to it as easy. Jesus says that's the place you go. You go to the place where, where it's not expected that you'll be there, and you go to be there with God. For us today, for us to go and shut the door, it's calling to privacy. It means that when we go to prayer, we need to shut off the phones. We need to shut off the tablets, shut off the computer, shut off the TV. Yeah, just everything. Don't even put it around you. Because when that little thing buzzes, what's going to happen? You're going to get distracted, and you're going to pick it up. When the thing lights up and you're praying because you may not be praying with your eyes closed at that moment, what are you going to do? You're going to pick it up and see. Let's just cut ourselves from everything from the world. That's what Jesus is saying. Just, just go and have this privacy of prayer. Be with your, your Father. Be with your God and just make Him the priority in that moment. For some of us, you know, we have the beautiful gift of marriage. Can you imagine if your first date with the person you're married to right now you spent the majority of that date ignoring them. Can you imagine where you would be right now? Would you be with that person? If you got in the car and you picked them up, and I remember when we first started dating, there was that, that awkward moment of silence that you just didn't want to happen as a guy. You, you feel like you had to fill the conversation because if it got too quiet, then the date must be going bad. Anybody, am I the only one that ever felt that way? Okay, thank you, John. All right, and so you feel that, that, that moment but can you imagine if we did the exact opposite? You picked up the person you're dating and wanted to be with, and you just talked about everything else and didn't even acknowledge their existence? I think sometimes that's what our prayer life is like. We may go to the act of prayer, but we're not actually acknowledging God's existence because we've got a, we've got a schedule to keep, and we've got things that distract us and pull us from it. So every time we get into a conversation with God, bzz, oh, sorry about that, Jesus. 
Let's just break away. Let's have this privacy. When I was in youth ministry, I, we would go on a lot of trips, which is the joy of youth ministry, right, Jason? Yeah. Um, and so we'd stay in hotel rooms, and Hotels.com led us to some really sketchy places at times. Uh, but I can remember we would get in a room, we'd get all the rooms assigned, and so I would be like, I would have three or four wonderfully smelling boys in my room, and, and I'd always ask them before we go to bed, say, does anybody need to go to the bathroom? Is everybody gone? And once I got everybody's answer, that's where I would go. I would go into the bathroom. I would close the door. I would lock it. I would turn the fan on um, so it would just block out any noise from outside the room. And I would have my Bible, and I would have my notebook and my pen, and I would just be in that moment. And that would just be me and God time because I just would spend four to ten hours in a 15-passenger van with teenagers. And if you have not had that blessing, you need time away with God. And so I, I would just get there, and that's where I would be. And I didn't do it for anybody else. I didn't do it for the kids. Be like, wow, he's so spiritual. I did it because I know I needed it. And so find this place where you can be private with God. And maybe at home, it's at your dinner table. That's where mine is now. Like every house we've lived in, I've had this place where I go, whether it's a room or a bathroom or an upstairs room or a basement. Right now, it's, it's at the dinner table early in the morning, um, I sit there with my Bible, with my notebook, with my pen, and I'm just with God. And sometimes little Miss Abby comes down a little bit early, um, but that, that's part of parenting. But find that place where you can be private with God. You can, you can be intimate with Him because Jesus says, the other P is there's a purpose to prayer. In verse 7 says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. What that means is the Gentiles is a phrase for unbelievers in the New Testament. And, and for Gentiles, when they would go to pray, they would have all these gods. And so they would just call out to this god, like, like say Zeus. And if Zeus didn't answer, they would call out to this god. And, and if that god didn't answer, they would call out to that. And so they would just start naming all these different gods with all these different prayers, hoping, hoping that one of them would respond and one of them would answer. And Jesus says, you don't, that's not how you do it. You don't lift up empty phrases. You don't keep rattling on hoping you finally get God's attention. You need to understand God is your father and you have his attention. So you don't need to rattle on. You don't need to lift up these empty phrases. You need to go over and over and over again. Instead, you, just, you, you need to understand your father knows what you need before you ask him. When we come to prayer, we, we, if you miss... You have a purity of prayer, a position of prayer, a place of prayer, a privacy of prayer, and a purpose of prayer. I'm not doing this through the motions. I'm not just going to rattle off empty phrases and words. I'm going to understand I'm talking to God who knows me better than I know myself, and He is teaching me how to pray because He wants this relationship with me. And so I have a purpose. There's a point to what I'm doing in this moment. So how do we do this? Here's the application part. How do we do this? The very first step to how you do this and how you set these things apart is the first step is you have to take time. I said this before, you cannot make time. Okay, that's, that's an empty phrase. You cannot make time. You have 24 hours, I have 24 hours. You have seven days, I have seven days. You have so many years, I have so many years. So we can't take it. We have the same amount of time every single day, every single week. So what we have to do is we, have, or we can't make it. We have to take time. That means something has to be pushed aside. There has, it's called priorities, right? Something has to be set aside so we can take the time to do this. About a year and a half ago, Jamie and I, we decided, you know what? We're just not going the right way physically. We need to make a change. And so we started you know, watching what we eat. And you can call it a diet if you want. Go ahead. We started exercising, and we weren't perfect. There were some days we didn't. There were some days, man, I ate a whole pizza. Praise Jesus for pizza. Um, but there were, there were days we got off track. But for about a year and a half, we, we've been saying, okay, we're going to be focused on our bodies and we're going to we're going to work out we're going to eat right we're going to have the right foods in the house and we're going to make this a priority but here's the thing in order to do that to work out we had to take the time to do it we had to set aside 30 to 60 minutes that we were going to do this this was going to become a priority which meant there was something that had to stop being done 
Whether that was an extra 30 minutes on the couch, whether that was an extra 30 minutes on the TV or the computer, an extra 30 minutes surfing on my phone, uh, whatever it was, something had to give in order for that to become a priority in our life. And the same thing goes with prayer, but it's multiplied. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, rather train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness of, is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All of us have things in our life. We have schedules. We're busy. Get it. I got it. You know, we're all busy in some way. There's some things you can't cut out. <laughs> well, I'll just show up to work 30 minutes later. No, you, there's some things you can't cut out. But if you actually sat down and looked at your life and said, okay, there are some things that, you know what? That's my moment with God right there. And if you don't have a moment with God beyond bedtime and dinner time, then my challenge to you is start with 15 minutes. Look at your schedule. Okay, so 15 minutes. This is where I'm going to start. I'm going to have intimate time with God, but you're going to have to take time to do it. Another thing and how to do this is record your prayer concerns. Record your prayer requests. My mom taught me this several years ago. I, used, I have a, a quiet time journal, and in the very last couple of pages, I was set aside for my prayer requests. But now I put it on my phone. And here's the cool thing. Just going back to that working out analogy, you know, the cool thing about working out or dieting, if you've ever done that, and I know a lot of people do, is when you start to see change happening or you start to feel better and have a little more energy, right? So we're like, yeah, it's actually doing something. Well, when I record my prayer request where people say, hey, pastor, can you pray for this about me? And I put that in, in my phone, which my phone is security locked, so don't worry, no one can pick it up and see what's going on. I put that in my phone and, and I start bolding things that I've seen God answer. And as I scroll through my prayer requests and the things I've recorded, I see answer, 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 answer. And I'm seeing a God who answers prayers. And you know where my prayers start before I even start thinking about other prayer requests? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for answering prayers. And I've got the evidence right here in my hand. If you don't want to do that, then in your notebook, man, take a highlighter. When you see God answer a prayer, highlight that. Maybe, maybe it's just a sickness or an illness or someone in a hospital or a baby's coming and just safety for the parents and the mother. Maybe it's financial needs, but highlight it. And then you get to look at that and you see these things jumping off the page saying, I have a God who hears my prayers and he is interceding in my life. So praise you, Jesus. But if, if I don't have a record, one thing is I don't have the evidence there, even though I may know of God answering, but also well, we're forgetful people, right? I mean, we're going to forget half this message before we leave. That's reality. But when someone tells me a prayer and I write that down, then I, when I go to the Father and I'm praying, I can look at that list and I can be reminded that that person, that person, that person entrusted me with something that is on their heart. And so I get that reminder, oh, yeah, and I pray for that. I also encourage you to keep a prayer journal. That's different than actually a prayer list. Um, and, and men are like, oh, that sounds like diary. It kind of is. Get over it. Um, what a difference between a prayer journal and a prayer list or prayer request is a prayer journal is basically I have this notebook and, and I, I'm writing out my prayer. And the reason I do this is discipline, and it's going to take longer than 15 minutes if you're starting a prayer, but it's something to really start working on. As I start writing out my prayers, it's not like, okay, God, help me today with, with so-and-so because they're really annoying. Help me not give them the right hand of fellowship type of thing. But I, I, I'm writing out, God, I saw you do this. And, and I, it's like I'm having a conversation, like I'm writing God a letter in my prayer. And the way this has helped me is as I'm writing these prayers out and whether it's something I'm struggling with or wrestling with or temptation I keep losing to or just a praise, I'm writing this out. What happens is because I'm actually giving thought because when you have to write something out instead of just say it or just think it in your mind, you have to give more thought to it. There's more things going on in your brain to do it. And what happens is you have to become more focused on that. And I found in my own life when I'm more focused on the prayers that I'm writing out to God, these little prayer letters 
God's Spirit speaks to me in that moment and verses start popping in my head that God has given me armor to fight these temptations and these battles that are coming. And so I start writing out these, these verses or I start, maybe I'll use my phone and I'll find the reference if I don't know the reference and I'll write that verse out because God is enabling me to be ready for whatever I'm praying for. So in that moment as I'm writing out the prayer, He's answering the prayer. He's... He's speaking to me. God wants to speak to you. I think we think of prayers like I get to talk to God, but the reality of prayer is God wants to talk to us. And sometimes I just get so focused and God just starts, His Spirit starts speaking these truths on these lies that I'm wrestling with. And He starts armoring me and answering my prayer and preparing me for what Jesus says, you know, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In that moment, I see God's hand coming and snatching me with the power of his word. And so take time, make prayer requests, prayer journal. The other thing I say is memorize scripture. Memorize passages of scripture. I'm not going to have a Bible drill time. Anybody remember Bible drills? We're going old school today, Pastor. You're talking about Lifeway, Sunday school material, hymn books, now Bible drills. What's next? Disciple train? Anybody got that one? Uh, (laughs) Okay, but just to to memorize Scripture. And how I do this, because I want you to understand, I'm not throwing this stuff at you to say, okay, well, he wants me to do all this stuff. This is how I do it, and this is how it helps me. So every week, it's kind of assumed I'm going to be up here in this moment teaching the Word of God and, and empowering and enabling God's people, right? But every week... The danger of all preachers is that we can get into a routine. I did it last week. I've done it for years. And we, so we just get up and we just rattle off whatever, you know, we've typed out or thought on or prayed on, whatever. And so my prayer almost every week, and sometimes I don't, I'll admit, I don't do this, this same prayer every week, but one consistent prayer I have almost every week before I come up to preach is, Lord, make the meditations of my heart or make the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray God's word to God. Why? Because this word will never fade until all things come to pass. This is the only thing that has the power to change hearts in this room. This is the only thing that will that is living and active and will get into the innermost parts of ourselves. And so I have to pray to God, Lord, make my words that are going to come out of my mouth pleasing to you. And make the things that are on my heart, because I'll admit it, there are some Sundays we come to church and you know we're not praise Jesus mode yet. You know? Kids get irritating. We love you, Ethan and Abby. <laughs> they push our buttons. And so we're not in praise Jesus mode. And so I have to say, Lord, let, let the meditations of my heart, may the things that are in my heart be pleasing to you as well. And so when we come to pray the word of God, it's just to memorize scripture and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray your word back to you because I know, I know sometimes my prayers can get disoriented, but your word is truth. Your word is eternally Secure. So if there's no other power in my pray, prayers, I know when I pray your word, there is power there. And so memorize scripture. And some of us hear that and be like, oh, I can't believe you memorize stuff. You have so much junk in your head. <laughs> you really do. We all do. We have songs that we heard when we were kids and we can rattle them off. And, you know, dun, 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 right? Some of y'all are going to be, why am I singing Vanilla Ice the rest of the day? Um, you got things in your head that are just there that you've memorized. And how did you get most of those things? It's because you recited them, right? You heard that song over and over again. You kept hitting repeat. Or if you're like me, you rewound the tape. It was on that tape playlist. And you rewound it again and again. And you listened to it over and over. So you got that word. That's how you go to memorize scripture. You just recite it. You read it over and over again. And all of us have the ability to do this because most of us have these smartphones. I think Richard, you're the only one who's like still 
You don't have the backpack thing anymore, but you got, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> but Sarah will help you. Um, our phones, there's this thing that will record things like voice. And so if there's a verse that you, like, I really have been wanting to memorize that, that, or you came across a verse, that's really what God is saying to me in this moment, what I'm struggling with, then take that little voice recorder and read the Word of God into that so when you're driving, when you're sitting, when you've got your earbuds in your head, you can just play that verse over and over again. And You can recite it over and over again. You get it into your head so you know the Word of God. So when I come before God in these trials and temptations, these things I'm struggling with, these prayers that are upon my heart, I I am praying the word of God back to him because I know this is truth and this has power. And that's what I want in my prayer life is I want power. And so it's really, again, taking the time and just getting into the habit. Okay, you know, if you want to start with an easy one, go Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He, 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 He was fully God and fully man. And just allow that to filter your prayer life. God became man and dwelt among us. But make it. Okay, final thing, and I'll wrap this up. <clears throat> Got a couple more things. Because we can talk about prayer and we get into the Word of God, but I really wanted this morning, I really felt God wanted this morning to be a time where we say, okay, how can we put this into practice? So how can, how can we actually do this stuff? So if you're missing it, take time. Record your prayer requests, whether in a journal or your phone. Keep a prayer journal. Memorize passages of Scripture to pray. And then what do we do when we've got all these tools and all these things? And what do we do? There are a lot of great books out there that can teach you some stuff. If you want to read books on prayer, then I can, I can point you to some. I mean, uh, there's been some that impacted me and, and some that have just really encouraged me. If you don't want to read a whole book, um, I recommend Richard Foster has a book called The Celebration of Disciplines. Awesome book. I, I go to it almost once a year um, just to sharpen myself. But there's a, a chapter just on prayer, and you can read that, that chapter and, and about the discipline of prayer. Um, Michael Catt, who's the pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church, that's the, the church that put out um, Fireproof and Facing Giants and War Room and, and, and those sort of movies. He has a book called The Persistent Prayer. Um, and we're going to be talking about the prayer persistence next week, but that's a really good book. Ronnie Floyd has a good one on prayer and fasting. That book, by the way, if you, if you really want that book, um, that book has probably been the most convicting book I've read on prayer and fasting um, to the point that I would be reading the book and be like, I just got to put this down because I should be praying at this moment. Um, and I just felt convicted. I felt like I was the worst prayer and Christian in the world as I read the book. So that's, that's your, your warning now. But, I mean, it's so convicting and so good. Another one which uh, has really impacted me, uh, Philip Yancey has a book on prayer, but one that has really impacted me and that I really enjoyed is, is Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller's book of prayer. And so I, I, I bring up Keller because here's the thing. Pastors and youth pastors and ministers, here's what we do. We borrow from people sometimes. You may call it stealing, um, but we borrow. Um, we'd give it back. And so here's my giving back to Timothy Keller. These are his ideas, and I've added a few things to it, but I don't want to take credit where credit's not due. Um, but Timothy Keller says, okay, so what do we do when we pray? Um, he, he talks about evocation and invocation. To evoke, E-V-O-K-E. To evoke means we bring to mind the things of God, which is what we talk about, about finding that position of prayer. Okay, that, that humbling position, that place where I'm not just jumping in, but I'm bringing to mind the things of God. I'm, I'm focusing on who I'm actually getting ready to speak to. Okay, And then invoke, I-N-V-O-K-E, is to call out to God. So first I'm bringing to mind the things of God, and then I'm getting ready to call out. And, but I have to get my mind right. I have to get my heart right. I have to be prepared for I'm talking to the Holy of Holies and I'm wanting the Holy of Holies to actually do something in my life or in other people's lives. And so I need to bring to mind and then call out. And here's one way, not from Keller, that I have learned to do this. I believe this actually comes from Foster's book that I talk about celebration and discipline, is, is what I call the hands-down, hands-up approach to evoke and invoke. 
And what that means is when I am praying, and some of y'all are going to feel really weird about doing this if you do this in public, so that's why you need to find your room, okay? You know, if you do this at the lunch table this week, students, you know, people are probably going to, you know, talk to the counselor about you, but here's what you do. All right, so I'm going to put my hands down, and I'm going to be thinking about who God is, His holiness, He's the creator, wherever your mind goes in that moment where I am evoking, I'm bringing mind to things God, and I'm putting my hands down because I am fully aware that I am a sinner before a holy God. And so in that moment where I'm bringing to mind the things of God, I am also releasing all of my junk. So I know it's not literally or physically, but it's just in my mind and my, in my brain, I'm, I'm just mentally releasing my sin, the things I'm struggling with, my temptations. I'm bringing to mind the things God, and then hands down, hands up, I'm calling out to God. Now that I've emptied, I'm asking God to fill me. Okay, that makes sense? And so it, it doesn't have to be a long period of time, but it just, once I know my heart is right and I'm fully aware of who I'm talking to and who I am and, and I'm releasing that junk and praying for God's forgiveness, I'm now asking God to fill me with His holiness and His purity and His transformation power and to fill me with that. So evoke and invoke. And then there's meditation. And meditation gets a bad rap because we think of like Eastern religions. But meditation scripturally means that I'm thinking intensely about a particular word of God. It may be a story, it may be a passage of scripture, it may just be a verse. But I am going to think intently about how God did something in someone's life that I see in scripture, how God said something in scripture, whether it's a verse or how God taught something. And so I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to think intently about that, not for the sake of understanding. And I'm not doing Bible study this morning. Remember, we're talking about prayer. I'm intently focusing on the word of God and the will of God so that I can do what the Bible says I should be doing with God, that I am tasting and seeing that he is good. So I'm going to meditate on him. I'm going to allow the word of God to digest in my heart and my mind. I'm going to think questions like, how is this impacting me? How should this impact me? How should this impact my relationships? I'm going to allow the word of God just to flow through me as I meditate on it for a period of time after my mind is now focused on who he is. And we already talked about this. So I'm going to evoke, invoke. I'm going to meditate on God's truth. And then I'm going to pray the text. We talk about memorizing Scripture, just praying the Word of God, word for word. And if you need a place to start, then the book of Psalms is a good place to start. You talk about somebody's prayer journal just written out for us, their praises, their lamentations, their petitions, asking God for supplications. I mean, you're reading someone's heart poured out on the praise, whether life is good or bad. So start with the Psalms and start memorizing some songs. The Lord is my Hey, we already got that one halfway done. So start there, all right? Okay, so go and start memorizing Scripture and then begin praying the text. If the goal of prayer is real, a real personal connection with God, then it's only by immersion in the language of the Bible that we learn to pray, perhaps just as slowly as a child learns to speak. Martin Luther, the one who's credited for leading the Reformation, he was adamant that when it comes to our prayers, we must never get beyond God's words in the Bible or we can't actually know who we are conversing with. So I'm going to pray the text because the Bible says, Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so, Lord, your word leads me in my life, and, and because we all want a deeper prayer life, I want your word to lead me to the prayer life I want to have. So be a lamp and be a light, and take my prayers where to me. And then what I call, Keller doesn't call this, he's more of a, uh, um, he's more intellectual than I am, um, so I, I reworded his thought here, uh, what I call the freestyle prayer. So you're, you're, evoking, invoking, you're meditating the Word of God, you're praying the text back to God, and then there's freestyle, and you just kind of think like freestyle rappers, you know, you just kind of, this is where you're just kind of, I mean, it's all out there. I mean, it's what Jason was going for when he blended up Subway and Taco Bell and McDonald's and Hardee's last night. He was hoping for, and, and that, all that stuff we've got in us. So we, we are focused on God, we're meditating on God, we're praying the Word of God, and there comes a moment where we just kind of pour out 
That's freestyle. But the danger is not making our prayers all about the freestyle. And then finally, contemplation. To get lost in the presence of God. Contemplation really comes to this point where we're just thanking God for the way He has already worked in our life. And if you set aside a time to pray and it's morning prayer, then maybe it's, okay, I'm going to thank God for what He did yesterday. Maybe you're an afternoon prayer. I'm going to thank God what He's been doing already today or an evening prayer. I'm going to thank God what He's done throughout this day that I've seen. I have seen the God of the universe, His hand in my life throughout this day. So I'm going to contemplate on those things. I'm going to lift up those praises and those those thankful things to Him. And that may be as simple as, God, thank you that I may not have done it, but I had the opportunity to eat at least three times today. Some of us, I mean, we, we've got more than three times in a, in a day and all different stuff. God, thank you that I'm going to go to a place that has air conditioning and heating and, and I'm going to go to a place, I have a closet that has clothes that I can change into that are clean. I have more than one pair of shoes, God. Thank you that I have friends and I have a job. I have a source of income. I have a source of health care. I, I have places and hospitals I can go to and be taken care of by people who know about the body better than me. Thank you that my kids go to a school where I, I know they're safe and, and the teachers love on them. Thank you that I have people in my life that love on me. Thank you for whatever. I mean, we get so blinded by Satan, by all the things we should be thankful for. That's what contemplation brings us back to, is that, okay, I'm going to focus on even the smallest detail of my life, God, because I have been blinded to the ways you're already involved. So, God, thank you. Maybe when you get home this morning, just you lift up a little prayer, Lord, thank you for letting us get home safely. Because there are going to be people who leave church today that aren't going to be able to do that. There are going to be people who went to sleep last night that didn't get to go to church this morning because God called them home or life ended. Every day is a blessing. For this is the day the Lord has made what? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. I know there's a lot of stuff and you're visiting with us this morning and you need all that all uh, I, can, I can get that to you um, if you'd like. But I really want us to be a people of prayer, and to do that, we really got to have tools. And so that's what this, this is this morning, is to be tools. But you may be here this morning, and we could talk about prayer, we can study prayer, we can do all these things about prayer, but it really doesn't matter because you don't know the God of the universe as your Father to pray to. This is the day the Lord has made. And this may be the day of your salvation. The Bible tells us that, that God created the heavens and the earth. But the reality is, as God created everything good in the way He wanted it, sin came in, which caused all of us to lead a life of rebellion. The Bible says there's no one that is good. There's no not one. No one seeks after God. No one is righteous. And so we all are born in this sin. The Bible says all of us sin and fall short of God's glory, short of His perfection and the wages, the cost of that sin is death. But that's not God's plan for your life. God has brought you here this moment maybe to hear about prayer, but the reality, God has brought you in this moment to invite you into a relationship with Him. And the the truth of salvation is we can buy into a lie that, you know, if I'm just good enough or I go to church enough or just don't do... a whole lot of bad stuff, then I ought to be all right. But the Bible's very clear. Without Jesus Christ, I am lost. And I cannot be saved. The Bible tells us that God loves you. He loves me. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins, all of our sins. They placed in Him tomb, but He came out three days later that we could be completely forgiven. We place our faith and trust in Jesus' sacrifice. The Bible tells us when I believe that God loves me that much, I understand that I'm a sinner, but I confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. And that may be where you are this morning. All this prayer talk, man, that's nice, but this is what you really need to take care of. Is your relationship with God is not right. So, if you were to meet God today, where would you be? Would he say, welcome home, or I never knew you? 
And if you're not sure, then this is the time to be sure. I'm going to ask Jason to come down. We're going to sing a song of invitation from one of those old books called the hymnal. A song called, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And that's really what prayer is about, is I, I just want Jesus. All this stuff in the world distracts me. I just want Jesus. And so when we get this incredible opportunity to pray, we get this incredible opportunity just to come before the Father and just have Jesus in that moment. But if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I don't want to lead you in a prayer. I'm just going to ask you to come down the aisle and you can let Jason know, hey, I need Jesus. I'm going to ask Mike Marler to come on down as well. So I, I want to be saved. And they'll pray with you. They'll, they'll be excited for you. Maybe you're here this morning and, and God's just spoken to you. You know what? I really haven't been taking my prayer life seriously, my relationship with them seriously, and that needs to change. So however you need to respond, this is going to be time to do it. Let's, let's pray, and then we're just going to sing this out to him. Lord, we'd rather have you than all this other stuff, so give us a heart for you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us and giving us your grace and your mercy. And we come this time, Lord, I, I, I ask and hope everyone in here knows you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I, I praise you that I don't have to know that. You know that. Your spirit knows that. So I pray that in this moment, if anyone's here who doesn't know you as your Lord and Savior, your spirit just gives them that understanding that they need, they need to move. They need to confess you. They need to ask you to be their Lord and Savior of their life. They need to be forgiven. Father, for myself, maybe for those who can relate, I apologize for I've made prayer cheap. I've rushed through it. I haven't taken those times just to be with you. Lord, let us be a people of prayer. Let this place be a house of prayer. Father, for we want you to do what only you can do here at Harvest Hill and in Stratford, in Greene County, in Missouri, in the United States, and across this world. So let us be people who are seeking after you and humbling ourselves before you. Thank you for this day, and thank you for what you're going to do in this moment as we respond to your word. We pray this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's holy and precious name.